Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. We are in our series called Holy One, and this is all about how fallen individuals like me and you can interact with and be in relationship with a holy God. So what does that look like? What is holiness? How do I, how do I talk with this being? How do I be in relationship with him? What happens when I'm scared in this relationship with God? So to give you a bit of background, week one, we defined what holiness even was. As I look at God, his holiness, as he describes it, is his moral and ethical perfection. So how do I, as a fallen human being, interact with a holy, invisible God? And that led into week two, which was the, tra- the trauma of holiness. Because when you look at individuals that come upon God's holiness in Scripture, they faint, they die, they weep, they fall to their knees. So what, does, what do me and you need to do to appropriately understand the God that we claim to worship? There's a traumatic experience there. And it needs to build in you a reverence and an awe. Because if you approach worship, if you approach Bible study, if you approach your human relationships without a sense of awe of God, you're going to wound people and you're going to hurt yourself. And then we jumped into week three, and that was discovering a way for you to measure your understanding and application of holiness. As God describes it, the more you are able to love impossible people, the more you understand how holiness is growing in you. So when you think about those that are difficult or impossible for you to love in your life, those are your target. So if you have moments where you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm a believer. This whole Christian thing is really confusing. The way that you know is your intentionality with very difficult relationships. So whether it's your parents or your siblings or your roommates or a boss, if there's someone that to you, you're like, I just cannot love them. That's your target. That is your target. And when you are in relationship with them and grow in relationship with them, that is evidence to you that you genuinely have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So today, here's what I want to discuss. I want to discuss, as the board says, an invitation. Because I have done you a disservice. So let's start with some confession this morning. There's a verse that I have quoted every single week of this series, and I have called it, I've titled it something that's really incorrect. I've titled it a command. And I want to apologize for two reasons. One, because I feel like I genuinely have done you a disservice. But also, I want you to know, no pastor you have ever sat under is perfect. And I don't claim to completely, fully understand all scripture and interpret it perfectly. I don't. As I was studying this text, I I just came to realize I've treated something as a command when it's not a command. It's an invitation. And so what's going to happen is sometimes I think when we treat certain things as a command, our brains are like, okay, here's another thing to do. So I've set you up for an impossible task. If I've given you something as a command in scripture and it's really not, you might have gone down maybe not a good route. So I want to explain what I'm talking about. In your Bible, what I've quoted every single week is 1 Peter 1, 16. Peter is drawing your attention to Leviticus where God has stated something. And he says, as it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. I have called that a command and it's not a command. The statement, be holy as I am holy in the Greek is I me hagios. And I, me, the way that you can read it is actually not just be holy, it's accept what is. Accept what is. So when you think about your relationship with God, is God holy? We're like, yes, of course, God is holy. But God has indwelt you. And 2 Corinthians says that when he did this, you became a new creation. 
Galatians 2 says that when this happened, you died and you are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So if God is holy and he has now indwelt you and transformed you, you by definition in your identity, you are holy. So what I have been trying to tell you, and, and it doesn't make some of the other things I said false. However, if you see this statement as a command, you're going to leave this room and go, what all do I need to do to go be holy? And you're going to try to do actions to win or earn this. And it's not at all a command. This is an identity to accept. It is not a command to keep. It's an identity to accept. And I want to show you how this is going to completely transform how you operate in this life. And as an example, here's a, a funny story that I had with Gavin actually this week. Gavin is my son. And he has entered the world of video games to much rejoicing and also disdain by myself. But... He was playing, what I'm doing right now is he's playing games is I'm watching like a hawk everything that he's playing to make sure he's not doing anything inappropriate or doing a game that might hurt him. So he was playing a game called Spyro, okay, Little Purple Dragon. And bear with me, it's a silly example, but it so beautifully represents what we're talking about. So he's playing this game and Spyro starts with a little story. So you're not immediately in gameplay, you're watching this context story unfold. So Spyro has a best buddy named Sparks, he's a dragonfly. And Spyro's running out in this field, they're playing, and Sparks is captured by this goblin-looking thing. And Spyro, in a rage that his friend is captured, screams at the bad guy, and flames shoot out of his mouth, light the bad guy on fire. Sparks is freed. Everyone is rejoicing. But Spyro is scared. He goes, I've never done that before, nor have I ever seen that before. And Sparks' parents, again, dragonflies, fly over, and they go, you know, Spyro, you need to understand we adopted you. You're not actually a dragonfly. You're a dragon. And you are capable of things that we are not capable of. Okay, we can't breathe fire. You can. Now, is that a silly example? It is. But my friends, some of you are buzzing around like dragonflies, not realizing that you're dragons. You don't understand the identity that you have been given. You don't understand the power that is yours. You don't understand the responsibilities that are yours. And again, what I, what I did wrongly is say, this is a command. You're like, okay, I'm gonna go do that command then. But if it's not a command and it's an identity for you to accept, you need to understand there's a completely different path you need to walk down. Being called holy as a Christian is like being an orphan and suddenly waking up to discover that you are a part of the royal family your parents are the king and the queen, which makes you royalty. And everything you thought about being an orphan was actually part of a nightmare. If you are indeed a child of the living God and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are his son, you are his daughter, and you are holy. You are set apart. You are a part of this new lineage, and that comes with new powers, new responsibilities, and we need to discuss those things. So as I was looking at 1 Peter 1, uh, 16, I was like, all right, God, open to me the context of this story. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, surrounding verse 16. So I want to read to you verse 13. And what this is going to do is help you understand how do I enter into this new identity? You know, what, what are the pros and cons of this? And we're also going to look at if you do not accept this identity, what happens to you? because there's some dangers here that I want you to be aware of. So let's start in verse 13. It says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Stop right there. When you try to understand your identity, you first need to understand that this is a battle in your mind. This is a battle of ideas. 
This is not emotions. We're going to talk about emotions, but it's not, I feel like God's daughter. I feel like God's son. No, that, that doesn't matter. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. These are ideas that need to become beliefs and beliefs that need to inform all of your actions and decision-making. Let me say that again. These are ideas that need to become beliefs that need to then inform your actions and your decisions and your identity. So as you start looking at this, he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he's drawing your mind to when Jesus returns and sets everything right. So uh, analyze your entire world for a second. Analyze all human beings, analyze all of human history. If you could summarize all of it, what is it? A epic battle between right and wrong. You and I were given decisions to make and you and I both know, the Bible says, all of us have sinned. All of us have rejected God. All of us have been at a place where we're like, God, I don't want what you want for me. I want what I want for me. And that brought us into this utter broken state. And so if that was it, if that was it, all you knew is that you were broken and God was coming back for judgment, what does that leave you doing? It leaves you in a human rat race to try to beat out other individuals, to try to do good things, to outweigh your bad ones. How many world religions have stopped right there? They know they've done wrong. Like any human being can look at their life and go, okay, I'm kind of selfish. I've done not so many good things. I've done a lot of bad things. Anyone can look at that. And in our attempts to get rid of our guilt and feel better, we've created thousands of religions, all of them based on works. Look at human history. What have we done to try to solve this problem? That there, you know, maybe we'll agree there is a God and maybe we'll agree there's a judgment, but don't worry. I can get past that judgment by doing good things. How arrogant do you and I need to be to genuinely believe that we can earn the sacrifice of God in Jesus, that we can do good things to earn his death. We can't. And so he draws your attention to this because again, the problem that, that Peter sees is exactly what I did. The problem that Peter sees is that we're gonna see our identity as a task to go do. So before he even says, be holy as I am holy, he says, remember, Christian, at the end of all things, whether you are judged at your death or you are judged when Jesus comes back, either one, you will receive grace. You get to rest. Like, just, just pause for a second. Maybe your week sucked and you just needed to come for that. Like, you messed up this week and maybe it was pretty big and you're like, oh my gosh, Tyler, if you even knew. You're right, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that you get to rest in whatever bad decision you made, rest in grace. And he goes, if you start there, then we can talk about identity. Because if you're going to try to earn this, you're going to mess up. But let's start in grace. He says, you will receive grace when Jesus Christ is revealed. And yet you and I mess this up so many different times. And I want to explain why. How in the world do we go from that beautiful idea of grace to I'm going to go do a bunch of good things and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to make sure God loves me. How do we get to that place? Well, we do it with a series of ideas. I want to explain to you, this was actually something that I've been studying as I've been um, coaching with the Corbin baseball team. Not coaching as if I could give them anything. I've been chaplain with the Corbin baseball team. That's better to say. I couldn't teach them anything about baseball. 
As, as I've been working with the Corbin baseball team, we've been, we've been trying to look at how do we protect our mind? How do we protect our identity from spiritual attack and brokenness? And it came to this idea. Every decision that you have made has started with an idea that you had. So as I was looking at how do I take ideas and move them into action as a human being, it's this. Step one, have an idea. Step two, analyze the risk-reward of that idea. If I make this idea, what good thing happens to me? If I don't make it, what bad thing happens to me? And then step three, accept or reject the idea. Friends, this is key. This is huge. At this step, in step three, that's where all ideas are either rejected or they become beliefs. Every belief you have started as an idea that you now accept as true. Every belief you have. So whatever you believe about God, whatever you believe about man, whatever you believe about church, whatever you believe about family, all of that started as an idea that you now believe is true. And then it goes to step four where you take an action. Let me show you how this works because you did this this morning. In fact, you're doing it right now. Every decision that you make, action that you take, an identity that you accept started as an idea. This morning when you woke up, you had an idea, brush your teeth. Okay, that was the idea. Step two, analyze the risk reward. Well, if I don't, my breath is gonna smell bad and the person that I think is really cute is probably gonna show up to church and they might smell my breath and then our relationship is over and I'm never gonna get married and so man, I should probably brush my teeth. <laughs> I know that you had that thought this morning. I read your mind. But you, you analyzed it and some of you, you were like, eh, I don't really care. I'm gonna be a bachelor to the rapture and we know because we can smell you. And so as you analyze this, brush my teeth, you were like, okay, you know what? It's probably worth it to brush my teeth. There's like, honestly, people are like smelling their breath right now. Like, can they smell it? <laughs> Step three, you accepted or rejected the idea that brushing your teeth was a good idea. And so if you accepted it, you're like, that's a belief. I believe it's a good idea. And then step four, I'm going to do it. Let me give you another example. How many of you play collegiate sports? Okay, a couple of you back there. That idea of you playing, let's just take basketball for collegiate basketball. Every single person in this room was presented at some point with the idea to play collegiate basketball. And you're like, what are you talking about? I was never presented with that. Yes, you were. You just rejected it really fast. <laughs> Everybody has all of the ideas available to them. But then as you analyze it, you're like, okay, well, number one, I've never played basketball in my life, so I probably shouldn't try. Number two, maybe I could, but I would need to train a lot and I'm just, I don't have the time or I just don't like sports. Whatever you thought in your head, many of you rejected it, but a few people were like, you know what? No, I'm actually pretty good at basketball. I could get a scholarship to go to school. I could get new friends on the team. I'm going to accept this idea and I'm going to take action. I'm going to go play basketball. My friends, it's the same with God. It's the same with people. Whatever you think about God becomes what you believe about God. Whatever you think about yourself becomes what you believe about yourself. This is why bad ideas and negative self-talk are actually so wickedly dangerous. Because my friends, in your age group, 15 to 24 years old, someone commits suicide every 11 minutes in this country. This country alone, that's not a worldwide stat, that's a, that's a national stat. So how in the world does a a happy young man, happy young lady get from the point where they're, they're looking at school, they're looking at sports, they're looking at friendships, and then you move them to the point where they're like, you know what, I'm going to accept the idea that taking my life is the best option. How in the world does that happen? It happens with an acceptance of ideas, and it always starts small, always. 
It starts with, no one talked to me today. They must not like me. And then it moves to, nobody likes me. And then it moves to, if I left, no one would pursue me. And then it moves to, no one would miss me if I'm gone. And then it moves to, I'm better off ending it. Every decision you have ever made and will ever make starts with ideas, which is why your identity is something that Satan is so unbelievably interested in attacking. If I can convince you, and this is why I'm so apologetic for what I did, if Satan can convince you, even through a well-meaning pastor, that who you are is something you need to earn, you will spend the rest of your life grasping at something that isn't real. Because my friends, you cannot earn the blood of Jesus. That can't happen. You couldn't earn the blood of someone else in this room. Think about it. What could you ever do that would warrant someone else dying for you? Like, maybe you're gonna cure cancer, but who cares? That doesn't mean I'm gonna kill someone for you. Your identity is key to every other decision you're going to make. And so as we look at this, let's start applying this to what we see in scripture. Well, actually, before I, before I go back to 1 Peter, let me read one more thing to you because I want you to see how serious God takes this. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says this, we demolish arguments and every lie that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So friends, I'm gonna read that one more time, but here's my question. When you hear the language of ideas and thinking, is it aggressive or is it passive? This is thinking. Let me read it one more time. We demolish arguments and every lie that sets itself up against God. And we take captive every thought, every idea, and make it obedient to Christ. Friends, your life in its thinking is not passive. It is not lazy. It is unbelievably violent. Your thinking is violent. It says we demolish arguments. We take ideas and we beat them and we rip them apart to make sure that we discover what is real and what is true. We take every lie and we, we take it captive. Have you ever gripped someone in a bear hug and you're like, you are not moving? Anyone that's ever wrestled and you've pinned someone to the ground, that takes an enormous amount of effort and it's the same with ideas. It is the exact same with ideas. Let me read to you some lies and how you need to learn how to wrestle these. Here's a lie. Look at all of the suffering in the world. God must not care. That is a lie, and that's something you as a mature man and woman need to wrestle to the ground. Is it true that God does not care about you? No. Is it true that God looks at the world with utter indifference? No. Because he made it in the first place, and he has a story, and he's coming back, and he's going to judge all that is wrong, and there is an eternity in heaven, and there is an eternity in hell, and God will judge between the two. Is it true that he doesn't care? Not at all. Here's another one. You're alone, therefore you will always be alone. Think about that. And I don't mean to, I, I've been in your place, right? If you're a single person and you don't want to be single, you're like, I really want to be in a relationship. Here's the lie that you begin to believe. I'm alone now, so I'm probably always going to be alone. Friends, that's not a new lie. That's been fed to every single young adult who's ever lived. I have been counseling for over a decade, and that is a common one. Tyler, I'm scared that there's no good men out there. Tyler, I'm scared that there's no good women out there, and I always laugh because I want to introduce those people to each other. 
But there is an idea, even not, not romantically, just look at friendship. How many of you have come to this group and you're like, man, it's just good to know there's other young adult believers out there. How many of you have come from another church because you're like, there wasn't any young adults over there. And so you've come to this place because there's community here. There's other people, and you don't know all of them. You're not friends with all of them, but you're like, man, there's a lot of opportunity here for relationship. See, it is a lie that you are alone, therefore you will always be alone. That is a tool of Satan to isolate you because isolated, he can pick you off. Here's another lie. Your parents messed up, so you're gonna mess up. How many people have not gotten married because they watched their parents' marriage implode? And you're just like, I don't wanna go through that. And so if they messed up, you're destined to mess up. That's a lie. You are not your dad. You are not your mom. You are your own person and you're gonna make your own mistakes. You're gonna make your own victories. You are not doomed to the decisions of your parents. It's just not true. Here's one more. No one will miss you if you leave. That is a disgusting lie. It's a disgusting lie. There is no way that God can simultaneously make you and hate you at the same time. There's no way that if you try to approach relationship that everyone in this room will reject you. There's no way. I guarantee you you're gonna find a friend. If, if not with anyone here, with me. There's no way that if you are gone, you will not be missed. These are all lies of the enemy and it's something you need to learn how to wrestle with. Don't wait for a good feeling, demand it of yourself. Don't wait for an emotion, demand it of yourself that you were created by a holy God, that you were loved by a holy God, and he thought enough of you to send Jesus to die so that you could be in relationship with him forever. There is no way that you can be worthless and also worth the death of Jesus at the same time. There's no way. And so as we continue to look at this and apply it to what else we have looked at, let's look back at 1 Peter, verse 16. I, me, hagios, you shall be holy as I am holy. Let me read it in a different way. You shall accept that you are holy because I am. You shall accept that you are a holy woman. You shall accept that you are a holy man. And if that is true, you have responsibilities on your life. You also have power. You have the ability now to forgive. You have the ability to choose right. You have the ability to have wisdom and make good decisions. You have the ability to love impossible people. All of those are gifts to you by God, by the Holy Spirit. You also have spiritual gifting. Every single one in this room, individual gifts that are all different, needed for the body of Christ. This is an identity that you need to accept. And so what does Peter do in the following verses? I wanna to read to you Peter's wrestling. And this is the wrestling style that you need to hold in yourself. This is how you wrestle ideas. Verse 17, right after he said, you shall be holy as I am holy, he says this, since you call on a dad who judges each person's work impartially, he's talking about God. You call on a God, you are saved by a God that looks at everyone equally and will judge impartially. And so he says, live out your time as foreigners on earth. So th think about that, foreigner, this isn't home. Your new residence is in heaven and it's perfect and it's solidified. You're never gonna lose it. So when you look at this life, become disenchanted with it. Become disenchanted. The job that you so desperately want, the relationship you so desperately want, 
not that it shouldn't matter, but bring it down a couple pegs because heaven's forever and all the relationships there are perfect and you will have a job. God will have work for you to do and it will be so perfect and tailor-made to who you are, you can't mess it up. This life is not all there is. This is 90-ish years for you of hell. If you're a Christian, earth is the closest to hell you're ever gonna get. If you're a non-Christian, earth is the closest to heaven you're ever gonna get. But you as a believer will die and you will go to heaven forever. He continues, he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold. This is so great how flippantly he addresses gold and silver. Me and you are fighting for it. We're buying it. We're strapping it on our fingers and rings. And, and Peter goes, yeah, that's like garbage. Gold and silver, that's not what you were purchased with. You were purchased with a, with a human body. You were purchased with blood. You were purchased with a murdered person. So again, as you sit there in those moments where you're giving in to fear and anxiety and you're like, I'm not worth anything. Yes, you are. You're worth at least one other human life and he happened to be perfect. He was God. And he was falsely accused and murdered so that you could be in relationship with God forever. He goes, you weren't purchased with gold or silver or a credit card or cash. You were purchased with somebody. You were purchased, he says in 19, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Again, guys, this is what you preach to yourself. This is what you put on repeat in your life. I am purchased by Jesus. I am purchased by Jesus. I am bought with his blood. I'm bought with his blood. I was designed by him. So anything I don't like about myself, he made it and he's perfect and he never makes mistakes. So whatever I don't like, I need to just reject that. That's a lie because he likes it in me. He likes your height. He likes your eyes. He likes your hair color. He likes your intellect. He likes who you are because he built you. And he's like, man, that's impressive. So much so that he wants to be with you forever. Forever. And that he would let his son die so that you could be together forever. He was chosen, verse 20, before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. Guys, Jesus dying wasn't a last minute decision. It wasn't like, oh man, I really want to be with these people. I don't know how to do it. Let's go murder Jesus. He goes, this idea of Jesus dying was created before I made the earth. He saw you before earth was made. And he goes, you and your life are worth it. I'm going to plan from the beginning of time that we're going to move through human history for a few thousand years. Jesus is going to come on the scene. He's going to be accused and murdered and he's going to rise again. And all the people sitting in a garage in Salem, Oregon is exactly who he was thinking about. It's you and it's your life and it's all that you can become. Through him, you believed in God and you were raised, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter is fighting a lie that you and I are worthless. It's simply not true. Now, last thing, and, and I'll end with this, what happens if you and I reject this idea? What happens if we're like, okay, I'm a Christian, but this whole holy thing, this identity, I, don't, I, can't, I can't grasp it. Or maybe you don't want to grasp it. What happens if you reject it? Well, James actually talks about this. In James chapter one, he says that individuals that read the word and don't do what it says, individuals that say they're a Christian but engage in evil, he goes, you're double-minded and you are unstable in everything that you do. So let me play this out for you, for your life. 
If you choose to forever keep trying to earn your salvation, here's what you have to look forward to. Your marriage is gonna be sporadic and anxious and shallow. Any leadership you have will be immature. Any business you own will be erratic and unstable. Everything in your life will be up for grabs and shaky. How do I know this? Because Peter says in verse 14, as obedient children, stop conforming to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. This is the wrestling of the Christian life. Yes, you are saved, but yes, it's possible to live a life where you give in to all the temptations you used to. So you're not a non-believer. You're not a horrible person, but he just says, you need to grow up. You need to stop doing that. You had things that you thought were okay. The way that you approached relationships, the way you approached marriage, the way you approached business. He's like, stop doing that. You need to do relationships differently, business differently, money, leadership, friendships, marriage, all of it. Do it differently. Because if you don't, he says you're double-minded and you will be unstable in absolutely everything that you do. I'll end with this story. I've got a, a good, good friend. Um, he's a handsome guy, has always dated very pretty ladies, has a very successful business, makes a freakish amount of money. But he's forever dabbling in all of his old temptations, whether it's gambling or sex or whatever. In the time that I'd known him, He'd had three or four girlfriends, all of which he'd lived with and slept with. And so he comes to me and he goes, dude, like stuff's starting to fall apart, man. My girlfriend just moved out again and my business partner's really mad at me. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And I was like, buddy, I know what's going on. I, I love you, but I know exactly what's going on. When are you going to actually take God seriously? Because you go to church sporadically. You say you believe in Jesus. You read the Bible from time to time, but then you find a pretty girl and you're like, hey, you should move in. Let's sleep together. God does not bless disobedience. God curses disobedience. The reason you're struggling in your business is because God's like, I refuse to allow you to continue to spit in my face and say you love me. Friends, life doesn't work like that. Relationships don't work like that. So girl after girl after girl is leaving him. Business is frustrating and money isn't going his way. And yet he still seems to have quite a bit of it because he's just voraciously chasing after wealth. And I'm like, are you tired? He's like, yeah, I'm really tired. I'm like, I wonder why. Could it be because God's like, when are you going to stop chasing your dream and start chasing mine? Friends, your identity is something that is yours. It's in you right now. You don't need to do a thing to earn it. You simply have to accept it. Who you are is a son or daughter of the king. And you can choose to reject that as long as you possibly want to, but I promise you, life's gonna hurt a lot. But if you decide, you know what, I am his daughter, I am his son, and this family is beautiful, but it's got new rules, and I'm gonna do my best to obey them. As obedient children, stop conforming to evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so you shall be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am. It's not a command to keep. It's an identity to accept. Let me pray for you. I've been in relationship with you for a number of years, and yet I have still seen that verse as a command for a long, long time. And so God, for, for anyone that was chasing after that like a command because of me, I apologize. And I pray that everyone here leaving would genuinely know they already are holy. 
But God, if there's anyone in here today or anyone listening online that's not a believer, God, they aren't holy. They haven't been redeemed by you. They haven't been claimed by you, but they can be. Should they just believe that Jesus did die for them and that he raised from the dead, God, they are in the family now. They are redeemed and they are holy. And so I pray that they would come to accept this truth. God, for all of us, would you protect us this week? For some of us, accepting this idea, this, this new identity is actually going to be quite easy. All they needed to do is wrestle with it and hear it. But for others, they're going to wrestle with all kinds of sin and other bad decisions, and they're going to think to themselves, I'm not worthy of this. And the reality is they are. So God, would you protect them from Satan and his lies, protect them from any bad mistake they made? Would they know that they are forgiven should they just but ask? So thank you for today and for the privilege that it is to be in this space. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.